Last week on Sunday Extra, the foreign minister in the exiled National Unity Government of Myanmar, Xin Ma Ong, spoke with us from an undisclosed location about the ongoing resistance to the February 2021 military coup in her country. She describes it as a people's revolution in Myanmar and says it should be based on the sovereignty of the people and inclusion of all ethnic and minority groups via federalism. Our guest today says that the person most associated with democracy in Myanmar, Aung San Suu Kyi, must be freed, but that she should then retire gracefully to make way for a new generation of leaders. Just like our guest last week, Kin Zorwin spent over a decade jailed by the previous military junta. He was charged with seditious writings in relation to his human rights work as well. None of that stopped Wynne from speaking out against the military dictatorship and from arguing for a new democratic era. Kinzor Wynne doesn't live in exile, though. He still lives in Yangon, where he offers political analysis from his own small think tank, the Tampadipa Institute, and he runs the risk of being detained again at any time for speaking out. Wynne is in Australia briefly and has kindly agreed to speak with us. Kinzor Wynne, welcome to Sunday Extra. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You wrote back in 2021 that not moving away from Yangon, you see it as your responsibility to share the view from the ground with the attendant risks, of course. So I wonder if you could please give us an overview of both those things, the situation on the ground at the moment and the risks that you face by speaking about them. I'll start with the risks you now. Well, I've been resuming my trips abroad since last year. And this year, it's been two trips to Europe and now first trip to Australia for four years, and there's always a risk. When I pass through passport control or immigration at Yangon Airport, uh, I just have to be prepared for the eventuality that they would um, stop me. Now, the situation on the ground is that um, I think the, um, the resistance forces are slowly gaining ground. You can't say it for certain, of course, you know? And the military, the uh, junta, is losing ground because um, they are under strength and the morale is poor and they have lost support. That's the most important thing. For 70 years, the Myanmar military institution has been the most powerful. And in a way, they had a lot of public support among the majority Myanmar people. But at this juncture, I think they made a huge blunder and they're continuing to make it. So I don't think uh, they can really recover the stature that they had in the past. What is life like now every day in Yangon? What sort of restrictions are there? Well, uh, people are afraid to speak out. Uh, That's quite apparent, you know. But more important than all that is the the socioeconomic situation. Prices are rising steadily, you know, and people with... um, no or very low incomes are finding it very difficult. Now, even while I'm in Australia, I get um, requests for assistance. People suffering kidney failure and people who have a a mother with a a breast cancer problem, they ask me for assistance, you know? Well, that's the thing. This whole resistance, most of it, is being publicly funded. You know, we're not, not getting any assistance large scale from any foreign donor. So in this way, I think it's also encouraging, but we don't know how long that will last, that people are quite prepared to give what they have to extend this resistance and also to bring down the junta, if possible. I think people are already saying that uh, the tipping point or the turning point will come this year. 
Mm. What can you tell us about the situation in regional areas where, as I understand it, the military has less control? Well, the military has lost control of many areas of the country. And like I said, it's not like in the past when they were strong and they had public support and the soldiers had good morale and training and equipment. Now, the units are very much under strength and there are now several instances of whole infantry units mutinying. The um, commanding officers refuse to fight anymore and they are arrested. And sometimes the men, they would um, mutiny or surrender as a bloc. So these are things that have not happened before. The Myanmar army, as you know, in its many decades of fighting the ethnic militias, has been very effective. A long time ago, the United States supported them because they were fighting the communists. You know, no, no, There's been a huge sea change in how the military operates and how the people view it, and I think ultimately how the military views itself. Because of the, the blunder of a top general, I think we are seeing the possibility and the likelihood of a whole institution collapsing. And this is something that you really cannot recover from. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Kin Zorwin, who runs the Tampadipa Institute in Yangon. And when you mentioned the ethnic militias, could you explain for us a little bit more why the north and the central areas of the country are the focus of the military's attacks at the moment? Yes, that's right. Well, uh, like the Hunter chief said uh, last week, you know, he singled out Zagain, which is the Burman area, and Tachin, which is the ethnic Chin area, and Kareni, which is also an ethnic area, as the um, strong points of the most active resistance. And he vowed that he would really crush them. But it's just a lot of hot air. Where does he have the means to do, do that? And the resistance there is going from strength to strength. Of course, the civilian population uh, suffers a lot of collateral damage. Whole villages are bombed and obliterated, and sometimes the uh, military commits unspeakable atrocities on the resistance camps that they have captured. So it all adds to the equation. If you do that in a Burman area, which for a long time was one of the top recruiting grounds for the army itself, you know, you really not only shoot yourself in the foot, it's like shooting yourself in the head. And um, if a military commander doesn't realize this, uh, he shouldn't be commanding anything. When we spoke with the foreign minister in exile last week, Xin Ma Ong, she spoke of the importance of the inclusion of all ethnic and minority groups in a new federalism. How optimistic are you that a functional federalised settlement could be achieved in a post-military coup Myanmar? Yes, yes, that's a very good question, very viable. I would even say that uh, we are going to a situation which is beyond federalism. There are many reasons for the different uh, regions in the country to hang together. But this is a situation where people are going to, well, create their own destinies, listening to no one from Nipidor, the capital, neither military nor civilian. So I don't think there are some people, communities, who would like to go for complete succession from the union, but maximal autonomy. That is quite, um, I would say, 
plausible and possible that the union might not exist anymore, and there's no way of changing their minds. What they did in the past two years in all of Myanmar, especially these uh, four regions, I think is unforgivable. So there's no way that they can regain and restore the situation in January 2021. Well, uh, some people have called it a, a loose federation, but as I have no problems with her, says uh, that is what they have um, agreed upon, I suppose. It's not the NUG dictating terms, as it is not uh, a case of the military dictating terms. No one will dictate. I think the people you know, who are fighting, they will create their own destiny and their own future. We've spoken about the regional and ethnic aspects of the resistance. Could we move on now to discussing that generational aspect, which I alluded to earlier? Yeah, Could very you, important. Yeah. What's your sense of the new young generation of both potential leaders of the resistance and potentially the country, and then mm-hmm. also the average person, the, the generation that, I suppose, grew up in a democratic Myanmar? Well, um, the generational change is quite apparent, you know. Well, they're doing most of the fighting and the bleeding and the dying, and they are really very set on the future that they really want for the country. And the very important thing is that the bulk of the um, population supports them. They have huge public support and huge public sympathy. And it it also translates into material support. So um, some observers are are skeptical because they think that Myanmar is going through a leaderless revolution. But uh, I don't think that matters very much. Sometimes having the wrong leader could even make things worse. So... We'll go along with the young people in command and also fighting. It applies to the Burma young people as well as to the ethnic young people. So it's very much a generational thing. And uh, I don't think it um, creates problems for the country. But the older generations, people of my generation, should realize that in many respects, the pattern has naturally passed to the young people. And I'm very much for that. We will help them as much as we can. And that certainly brings us to the question of Aung San Suu Kyi. You've written before that as a leader, she became just another office holder, forgot about the values and principles of her time in opposition and followed authoritarian methods. What role do you see for Aung San Suu Kyi in the resistance to the current military regime and then the political future of Myanmar? Uh, that's uh, one of the key questions, you know. I've been saying this consistently for years. Of course, we would very much like to have a release, but I think it is clearly time for her to retire from politics. There are young people who have told me privately that they don't want her back in a leadership role. But of course, they won't say it publicly yet. So I think she should be prudent and think rationally that uh, my time is over. And generationally hand over to others. And the best that she could do is to try to guide them along. So she will be able to salvage what she has already lost. Now, to be very frank, she has been dragging her feet on federalism. You know, she's had very poor relationships with the ethnic leadership. 
in the final years of office, she was quite blatantly defending the military. You know, okay, she's very, still very popular. People would like to, I wouldn't use the word forgive, at least to tolerate her. But in the interests of the country and of future generations, I think she should phase out. I'm very emphatic about that. Sorry. Do you think that she is capable of taking on that sort of intentionally transitional role, Win? No, I don't think she, she will, because that's in her character. Like I said, it's a very kind of a delicate situation. Well, the people who are doing the actual fighting, if she's released, well, they can say, we can welcome that, but please let us do it ourselves. Mm. It's not like in 1988 mm. when people looked to the older generations for leadership. Now it's the other way around. And I think it's incumbent upon well-wishers at home and abroad to let her know that. Not so bluntly as that, her time has passed. Mm. Kinzo Wynn, thank you so much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. It's a pleasure speaking to you. And I came all the way to Australia to just to say these things, you know. Well, I do run a risk when I'm returning, but these things have to be said. Kinzo Wynn is the director of the Tampadipa Institute in Yangon in Myanmar, and he was speaking to us from Canberra, where he was attending the recent ANU conference 2023 Myanmar update from coup to revolution. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.